again we're reminded that God is faithful. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And tonight we're continuing in a series that we began last week entitled The Patriarchs. In this series we're going to be looking at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. You say, Pastor, how long will we be in this series? All year. But that's okay. You don't have anything else to do, no, neither do I. And we're not going to do it all in one night, so you can relax. Genesis chapter 12. And I'd like us to read together verse 10 and 11. As the title of the message is, A Faithless Faith. Seems like it's contrary words, doesn't it? A faithless faith. Beginning with verse 10 of Genesis 12. And there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down into Egypt. I want you to notice that phrase. So easily said, but it's very deep, very profound. Abraham, this great man of God, this great man of faith, went down into Egypt to stay there. For the famine was grievous across the land. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said to Sarah his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see you, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will save you and keep you alive. Verse 13, I pray that you be my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of you. We'll stop there, but we'll be looking at all the verses that follow in just a moment. In the sixth chapter of the epistle of Paul to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians, we learn that a Christian should be armored in God's armor if he's going to stand against the wiles of the devil. That armor consists of the helmet of salvation the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, and the sword of the word of God. This is what a well-dressed Christian soldier should wear as they go into battle to engage the powers of darkness. But I want to ask you a question. If we have all of this armor on from head to toe and from toe to head, if we have it all on, if we're walking with God as we wear this armor, is it possible, is it just possible that we can be defeated by the devil? Is it possible we can be brought down is it possible we can be shamed by our adversary? Think about that now. We're spirit-filled. 
We've got the armor of God on, all the pieces. We're walking with God to the best of our ability. Does that guarantee victory every time we battle the devil? The answer, sadly, is no, it does not guarantee victory. You can be spirit-filled. You can have the armor of God on. You can be walking with God to the best of your know-how. And you can fall victim to an arrow of Satan. Satan is an assassin with a loaded bow. And he's constantly shooting arrows at the people of God. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, we are reminded of something. Let any man who thinks he stands today take heed lest he fall tomorrow from a shot from Satan. Why do I tell you this? Because in our story tonight, pay attention, Abraham is walking with God. We saw last week that God called Abraham to go on a journey. Abraham said, where? God said, go. Abraham said, why? God said, go. Abraham said, what? God said, go. Abraham said, how? God said, go. (laughs) God doesn't have many words in his vocabulary. He just said, go. And so Abraham, in obedience, walks with God by faith. But now he's about to encounter something that's going to cause him to fall in defeat. The Bible tells us in the journey he experiences a famine in the land that he is in. The ground is parched. His animals, his livestock are dying. His family is arguing over water and over food. And his wealth that is found in his livestock is vaporizing before his eyes. And all of this has happened pretty quickly and pretty suddenly. He's not had time to really think about it. He's not had time to really talk about it. All of this has kind of come out of nowhere. Satan is shooting arrows at Abraham, and one of them hits him. You say, but he has the armor of God on. Listen, that armor covers 95% of you. But there's always a 5% that's there, and it's vulnerable. And between his armor, the arrow strikes. We're about to learn a lesson from this great man of God, how you can fall even when you are spirit-filled, even when you're walking with God, even when you're wearing the armor of God. There's never a time in our lives when we're not vulnerable. You listen to your pastor. The first thing I want us to see tonight as we consider this faithless faith is Abraham's prayerless response to the famine. Once again, notice in verse 10 and 11, 
And I want you to see if you see anything missing here. There was a famine in the land. Abraham went down into Egypt to stay there to escape the famine that was grievous throughout the land. It came to pass when he was come near into entering Egypt, he had a conversation with his wife Sarah. And in essence said, because you're a beautiful woman, I want you when we arrive in Egypt to deny that you're my wife and tell them that you're my sister. In doing so, they will allow me to live. That's what the story says, verse 10 and 11 basically. Now I want you to think about all this. Abraham's family and his livestock are suffering. And Abraham is feeling the pressure as the patriarch of his home, as the head of his home, to do something and to do something quickly. And so Abraham makes a decision. I'm going to Egypt. You don't see anywhere in verse 10 and 11 that he does what? There's no prayer. He doesn't consult God about what he should do. He makes a decision in and of himself. He doesn't call the leadership of his family and of his people together and ask godly men and women to help him make this decision. He makes it arbitrarily by himself. He does not think through it. All he's looking at is right here, right now. He doesn't think about what the consequences will be tomorrow, but what the choices are today. So Abraham moves his entire family to Egypt. Now you might be asking yourself, what's the big deal, Pastor Jim? What does it matter that Abraham makes a decision to move his family to Egypt. After all, in Egypt, the grass is green, the water is plentiful, there's relief from the sun and from the flies and from the sand. Sounds logical to me, Pastor. Sounds reasonable to me. What's the big deal? Well, let me tell you what the big deal is. Egypt in the Bible is not just a geographical location. It's a spiritual condition. And when the Bible talks about Egypt, the Bible's talking about a place of worldliness and a place of wickedness. I've told you in other messages that Pharaoh's symbolic of Satan and Egypt is symbolic of sin. And Abraham, listen to me, Abraham, this man of God who's, who has the armor of God on, Abraham, this man of God, who's walking with God by faith, makes a decision that's spiritually horrendous. He says, I'm going to take my family to Egypt. May I suggest to you, this rash decision by Abraham is completely out of the will of God. Now, some of you right now are saying, how in the world could he do that? I wouldn't do that. Oh, you wouldn't? Don't puff out your chest on me now. Don't be strutting as you sit. 
Don't we choose Egypt sometimes? When it comes to who we're going to marry, do we not choose Egypt sometimes? I'm going to marry that girl. Oh, she's pretty. She's personable. Her family is a nice family. She's educated. She's wow. I'm marrying her. And I'm going to marry that boy. Man, he's handsome. And he's rich. And he drives a Corvette. I'm going to go to Egypt. Do we ever think about the fact, is he a Christian man? Is she a Christian lady? Does he walk with God? Does she love the Lord? Do we pray about it? Do we talk to people who are spiritually ahead of us about it? Do we think about the choices we're going to make now and how that's going to have consequences later? The answer is so often what? No, no, and no. We only look at the physical. We only look at the sexual, perhaps, but we do not look at the spiritual, and we go to Egypt. And we wonder why our marriages that we thought were going to be heaven on earth turn out to be hell on earth. Some of us go to Egypt taking the wrong job. Somebody offers us $12,000 more a year, and God has to be in it, amen? <laughs> and so we just jump up, and we go to that job. Maybe we have to move our family. Maybe we have to leave the church that we have been in all of our life. Maybe we have to leave family and friends that have been great influences on us, and we go away. And you find yourself in a work environment that's pagan and vulgar. You find yourself being asked to do things that are ungodly for that extra money. You find your family spiritually adrift. Many of us chasing after a nickel more. Sell out ourselves and our family. We go to Egypt. Some of us do it going to church. We want to go to the modern church, the, the, the contemporary church, the edgy church, the trendy church, the vogue church, the church that has all the bells and the whistles. And so we uproot ourselves, we uproot our family, and we go to these places. We never ask ourselves the question, Does, do they love the Lord there? Do they preach the word of God there? Do they talk about righteousness? Do they talk about holiness? Do they tell people how to be saved? We don't think about that because we don't care. You see, if you're not careful, ladies and gentlemen, you and I will be like Abraham. We'll find ourselves in the wrong marriage. We'll find ourselves in the wrong job. We'll find ourselves in the wrong church. But let's move on. Not just a prayerless response from Abraham, 
And by the way, any time that you're asked to rush in making a decision, I can promise you God's not in it. The devil's the one who's always rushing because he knows his time is short and what he's going to do, he better do quickly. The Lord is never in a rush. He's always been, he'll always be. And the Lord will always slow us down. Satan will speed us up. And Abraham, feeling pressured, makes a quick decision, and it's the wrong decision. A prayerless response. Now we move to the price tags of sin. Everything has a price. And when you choose to shop at the devil's Walmart, you're going to pay the devil's price. I want you to notice verses 11 through 20, and I'm not going to read them all to you, but I just want you to kind of scan there. But in verses 11 through 20, essentially, it tells of Abraham carrying out this scheme with Sarah. This godly man, Abraham. This man who walks by faith with God, Abraham. This man who's got the armor of God on, Abraham, tells Sarah, we're going to Egypt, and you know you're a good-looking woman, and Pharaoh has many wives, and the chances of Pharaoh hearing about you, seeing you, and wanting you is great. But Pharaoh would never bring in a married woman to his harem of wives. So therefore, he's going to unmarry you by killing me. And then he can bring you in. So I want you to tell Pharaoh, I want you to tell those who may inquire of you that you are my sister. Lie, if you will. And in your lie, you'll save my life. That's basically what it says. One small sin, Pastor Jim. Why are you oh so excited? Because one small sin leads to another larger sin. Larger sin. Larger sin. One small sin by Abraham leads to bigger sins. It's hard to imagine that a spiritual man could do that. Does that surprise you? That he could actually turn to his own wife and say, Honey, to save my hide, Jim Palmer's amplified version, I want you to lie. I want you to be deceitful. I want you to tell a falsehood. I want you to tell everybody in Egypt you're my sister and you're available. Because I don't want to die. Wow. You know, sin is like cancer. If you don't do nothing with it, it's only going to spread and worsen over time. A white lie over time, if not dealt with, becomes a little lie. A little lie becomes a regular lie. A regular lie becomes a big lie. And a big lie becomes a black lie. You see, sin never stays small. 
the price tag of small sin is it's going to become a bigger sin. And when you're out of God's will in one area, the chances of being out of God's will in other areas will greatly intensify. So Abraham says, I'm going to tell a lie, it'll save my hide. But that little lie is now going to become a bigger lie, as we see. Secondly, Abraham's little lie, his small sin, causes hurt to other people. Look at verse 14 and 15. It came to pass that when Abraham was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. That woman's his wife, Sarah. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended, uh, and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Now Abraham's sin, his lie, if you will, to save his own self, is not only going to be an isolated experience, it's going to be an encompassing experience to all of those around him. You see, sometimes we think that when we sin, we're an island and nobody else is affected by what we do. That's not true. Everything that you and I do is connected to someone else and has a positive or a negative effect on them as well. Think about it. Abraham has told a lie about his wife Sarah. Now Sarah, Sarah is going to become part of Pharaoh's harem, which means that she's going to be asked to do sexual favors to Pharaoh, among other things. Can you imagine a man putting his wife in that kind of situation? Abraham never thought out his lie. He thought, all i got to do is tell the lie and we'll be fine. Or better said, he'll be fine. But he didn't realize that what he said would cause Pharaoh to take his wife and now she will become part of his harem and could become a sexual object to Pharaoh. Abraham never thought about his family. The friends that were with him, they looked up to him. And here this man they look up to is telling a lie. He's putting his wife in jeopardy. And they're scratching your head and saying, are we missing something here? You see, when we sin, we not only hurt ourselves, but we hurt others. And most importantly, who do we hurt? Because God has seen this whole thing unfold. And God is hurt. One small sin becomes a bigger sin. Ask Abraham. One sin that Abraham believes is isolated only to him will have no problem for everybody else. Now becomes a problem for his wife, his family, his entourage. Thirdly, one small sin 
one small little sin is now going to cost Abraham his prayer life. You see, Abraham was a man of prayer, but we don't read anywhere during his time in Egypt when he had a prayer time. We see him scheming. We see him conniving. We see him planning. We see him discussing. We see him reasoning. We see him strategizing. But nowhere in this passage do we see this great man of God doing what? Praying to God. Instead of spiritualizing this, he humanizes it. Instead of inviting God, he invites himself. There's no altars built. There's no sacrifices given. There's no prayers offered. Abraham is a Christian man who's living like a non-Christian man in his decision-making. Listen to me. The things of this world will never satisfy you if you're a Christian. And Abraham is now engaging in the things of this world to resolve the lie that he created and made. And he's finding more and more that without God to fill the round hole that is in his heart, it's not going to be filled any other way. If you're a Christian here today and you believe you can go into the world and find what you're looking for, you are going to be sorely disappointed. It is said of the great Hank Williams, one of the greatest country singers of all time, that he walked the streets and threw thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars away in the gutters of this world looking for something to make him happy, and he never found it. Elvis Presley, the last years of his life, would spend 16 hours a day in a bedroom in his pajamas. Nothing moved him, nothing satisfied him no more. You see, Christian friend, when you go into the world and think you're going to find something there, that you can't find in the Christian life, you are going to be disappointed. And Abraham went to Egypt and he tried the way of Egypt. And now he's bitterly disappointed. Are you thinking about this now? One small sin. It started with Abraham just telling a little, little lie. And from that lie came a bigger lie, a bigger sin. From that lie, from that sin, he hurt himself, he hurt his wife, he hurt his family, he hurt his God. From that sin, that little small sin, he abandons his prayer life, he abandons his spiritual roots, and engages in secular, not sacred activity. And he becomes more and more frustrated. And that small sin... That little lie, little itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny lie is going to cause him to lose respect. In verses 17 through 20, 
we see Pharaoh lecturing Abraham. Now think about this. Pharaoh is a pagan, and yet he is giving a moral discourse to a man of God. Wow. Pharaoh says to Abraham, how in the world could you tell me this lie? You call yourself a man of God, and yet you lie to me. Where is your ethics, Abraham? Where is your morality, Abraham? Where is your spirituality, Abraham? How could you do this? You almost caused me to sin by engaging in a sexual affair with a married woman. Even I, Pharaoh, don't have married women in my harem, lest they be married to me. Wow. Abraham being dressed down by Pharaoh. An unsaved man telling a saved man how he ought to live. Ladies and gentlemen, if you claim the name of Jesus, the greatest thing you can give this lost and dying world is a testimony that causes them to respect you. I don't care if the world likes me. I don't care if the world loves me. I don't care if the world applauds me or awards me. But I do care if that world respects me. Because when you respect somebody, you will listen to somebody. And when you do not respect somebody, you will no longer listen to them. And Abraham has lost the respect of Pharaoh. He's lost the respect of his family and his entourage. And the relationship that he has with them is going to change because of that. And then lastly, as we move toward closing... We first of all see a prayerless response. There's a famine without prayer, consultation, consideration. Abraham goes to Egypt. In Egypt, he tells a lie. And that lie has consequences that Abraham never thought about. And now, as we close out, we see in chapter 13, the first four verses how Abraham is going to have to deal with it. And Abraham went out of Egypt. Remember, he went down to Egypt. Now he's coming out of Egypt. He and his wife and all that he had, Lot with him. Notice Lot's with him. Lot. We're going to study about Lot a little bit later, but those of you who know your Bibles know that Lot made bad choices too. Where do you think Lot got the idea to make bad choices from? From Abraham. Where do you think Lot got the idea to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah from? From Abraham choosing to go to Egypt. Understand, Christians, whenever we make a decision, listen to your pastor, it not only affects us, it affects a lot of other people who are watching us. Little eyes don't learn by what we say. They learn by what we do. But back to our verses. 
And Abraham, verse 2, was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. And we went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the very beginning, between Bethel and Hai. Unto the place of the altar he went, which he had made there at the first. And there at that altar Abraham called on what? The name of the Lord. Abraham left Egypt with his head tucked between his tails. When Pharaoh found out he was married, Pharaoh dressed him down, scolded him, embarrassed him, shamed him, and said, Get out of here. And Abraham left and went back to the place where the famine was that was no more. But Abraham has learned something. You see, when we get shamed and humiliated and embarrassed and defeated in life, we can learn a lot, can't we? We can learn, really learn. God uses sometimes our foolishness to teach us, our wickedness to teach us. And he's taught Abraham. Believe me, he's taught Abraham. Abraham is disrespected by his family. He's scolded by Pharaoh. He's mocked by the Egyptians. So when he gets out of Egypt, gets out of the land of sin, gets away from the wickedness, he goes back to Bethel, back to an altar that he had built some time back, and he does business with God again. He confesses his sin, he forsakes his sin, and he resurrenders his life to God. He didn't recommit his life, he resurrendered his life. We Baptists love to recommit our lives. God's not interested in our commitment because all commitment means is, God, I'm coming back to you, but I'm in control. When God brings us back, he says, you come back to me, but you surrender to me because I'm in control. And Abraham surrenders. Confesses his sin, forsakes his sin, and asks God to help him rebuild the mess that he has made. And may I suggest to you, Abraham comes out of this better, wiser, and stronger, all for it. Maybe today, maybe tonight, you were pressured into making some decisions that took you away from Bethel and took you into Egypt. And maybe you thought that was the answer. You really did. But now in Egypt, you're seeing the consequences of walking away from God and living in a place of sin, a place of wickedness. Maybe you're seeing all the pain that you've caused, all the hurt that you've caused, all the shame and embarrassment that you've brought upon yourself. And maybe you're ready to leave Egypt and come back. I want to let you know God will bring you back. He allowed you to come back. And God will meet you at an altar. And God will forgive you of your sin. And God will help you rebuild your life. It may never be what it was before, but God is an amazing God, a God of grace and mercy. 
And it's never too late to come back and start all over again. In the Latin, there is one word, just one word, for the heights that you would find on mountains and for the lows that you would find in the valley. The, the Latin word is altudo, altitude, altudo. Now, I wonder why the Latins, who were very smart, by the way, they would only have one word for being on top of the mountain, high, or being in the bottom of the valley, low. I wonder, just wonder, if they didn't know something we need to know tonight in closing. That whenever you go to the deepest depths, the low of the lows, that can be a springboard if you'll bring God back in to launch you to the highest of the highs. That the word is really the same because one can lead to the other. And maybe tonight you find yourself at the bottom. You never thought you would, but you're there. Wouldn't it be wonderful tonight to rebound and shoot back to the top? What God did for Abraham, he'll do for you and I. But it has to start at an altar. Will you surrender, confess, repent, forsake, and bring God back in? Heads are bowed and eyes are